Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 50, season four, episode one of the Carrier's Edge podcast. And I am your co-host, co-founder of Carrier's Edge, and oh, and my name's Jane Jazarawi, and with me is... I try not to make smart comments about that introductory music, but hi, I'm Mark Morell, other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. You made that introductory music. I love the introductory music, except it does sound like um, the intro to a CBC show. Yes. Well, the old intro to Q, uh, which was a CBC radio show before their host uh, became a verb, uh, Gian Gomeshi, <laughs> <laughs> fell fell from grace. He did. In he a had public a debacle. Very big fall from grace. And now getting Gomeshied is not what you want to have happen on your date. Okay. So you really shouldn't have. That's not how you start a new podcast and a new and a new season. I didn't and, and everything's supposed to be fresh and new and and happy and joyful and and with with the possibilities, the endless possibilities. We are reclaiming that theme music and or that tone of theme music, and we're going to build something positive out of it. How's exactly. That? And you know, I didn't particularly like the theme music when I heard it, um, but I do like it now. I I did enjoy it now. It's growing on you. It is growing on me. Okay, so I'll and it's better that. it's better than the one we had before as well. So that's good. Is it better than the one we had before? Yeah. yeah I, I like it. The one we had before originated the demo tape for a band that I played in twenty five years ago. Yeah. And it was fine as a placeholder and I always meant to replace it and it just took me fifty episodes to get around to doing it. Well I think is this our fourth this no. is our fourth go round. I think this go is round? fifth one. Okay, so season five, episode one. I think that we should start talking about it like that. Okay. Okay. It so may then, not actually be season five, but we're going to say it's season okay, five. Okay, now it is season five. Because the first year, I don't think we stopped in the summer. We plugged away through it, and it was like the second year where we got to like end of June, and we're like, oh my God, I'm so dead. We need a break from all of this. Yeah. So I think that the key, the key takeaway that you get from listening to this podcast, as opposed to other podcasts, is that you hear about all the joys and trials of actually making the podcast every time you listen to it. Yes, you get a lot of behind the scenes. We do nothing except uh, but complain. We're very good at complaining. Well, we'll get around to talking about stuff eventually. Yes, we do. So let's let's do that. Well, we're we're giving people a look. The whole point of this podcast is what happens behind the scenes of Carrier's Edge and behind the scenes of Best Fleets. And definitely people get that. They know the ins and outs (laughs) of creating a podcast, (laughs) producing one all the time. Yes. uh, Our personal trials, getting around to doing it, all of that. Yes. And I have to say that the the soundproofing is becoming an art of its own. Just your (laughs) general ability to soundproof pretty much anything. So I'm sitting in the middle of foam. There's foam. Oh no, there isn't foam upstairs, but there's a big blanket hanging because we're doing a video podcast later this afternoon. I did a video, I did a video podcast last week and basically had to rearrange all the furniture. It's like all these people now, and I, and I 
have a newfound respect for all of these people on TV who are broadcasting from home, you know, the people on the news and things like that, because you basically have to turn a room of your, in your house into a little studio, which has good, if you want it to sound good and look good, because you need to have the lights, you need to have soundproofing, and it's not, an, it's not a simple process. Like, you, you know, you look terrible on video if you do nothing. So, but the process of doing all of the things that you need to make it look good basically takes up half your space. Oh, yeah. So, well, and that's not even your office. This is in another room in the house because, well. Yeah, but, well, now it's at the point where people that just do it in their office, you can tell and you kind of think, oh, they didn't put any effort into it. Mm-hmm. These are all things that were completely foreign six, eight, ten months ago. Oh, but yeah. now everybody's getting used to because everybody's had to turn their home or apartment uh, or uh, office into a mini production studio. So whether it's delivering training, doing interviews, lots of people doing podcasts, doing meetings, and the number of people that I do meetings with that used to be phone calls, but now are video calls, uh, it is, it's quite amazing. And everybody is starting to get, uh, get comfortable with these things that nobody was really using before. I know. And well, we were using remote tools for a really long time, but we weren't using video. It was Mm -hmm. like audio only. And when, you know, when everybody started using Zoom, it was, I mean, we were using Zoom, but not with video. So we're slowly moving into the video sphere. And that's the reason that it's slow is because everybody's, everybody at our company is used to just doing audio and not bothering to look decent. I know you, you got to be showered. You got to have a shirt on. This is hard work. It is. And you know, you have a lot of, there's a lot of productivity that you can have when you're, when you don't bother with that. Yeah. Well, especially in the summer, like it's very warm and my office gets very hot and we have a pool. So my default in the summer would be basically to just wear a bathing suit, work for a while, then go jump in the pool, then come back and work for a while. I can't do that if I have to be on video. No, and you can't, and you've complained about that. I have. You well, have. I haven't complained on the podcast yet, so I have so to cover that. I have to check your, that box as well. Here's your chance. Complain but, about having to be presentable. But it is interesting to see the shift towards online video that everybody is doing. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that I've found interesting over the last three or four months is everybody moving to online meetings and uh, to delivering training through synchronous online. Whereas it used to be people thought of training as either classroom where everybody's in the room and there's a trainer standing at the front of the room or online self-paced, which is the, the kind of thing that we do. Yep. Nobody really thought about doing online synchronous or online instructor led, which has been kind of a gap and it's one of the things that uh, we've been sort of eyeing for a long time. Oh yeah. Well, when we first, um, so in my, when I originally started looking at learning through a computer, um, that was back in the, in the nineties. And I was looking at more of the uh, sort of correspondence course things, uh, where you would dial into a server, get your assignments and, and I mean, dial in like a modem. So you would connect to the server, get your assignments, do the assignments offline, maybe have a chat, you know, a, a text chat, and then submit your assignments to a prof. And that was kind of the first electronic uh, distance learning, which was mostly 
correspondence courses done that used to be done over mail were basically just done through email. And then, then um, they started, some companies started coming out with synchronous learning tools where you basically, and it was way before WebEx, way before Zoom, like there was these platforms where you could connect and you could put your PowerPoint slides in and have a class where people raise their hands and ask questions and you could converse with them. But that was back in the late 90s and the technology wasn't really up there yet. You had to have a really good connection. Yeah, the networks were really struggling to keep up with that. They couldn't do it. Well, and the compression wasn't quite as good, so it was harder. So those two things together made it very difficult and only a few people could make it happen. And I remember experimenting with this when we were at PricewaterhouseCoopers and when we were consulting. And um, and as you said, that I was the first one in Canada to be doing this. Yes, I make that argument and Jane doesn't like it, but... Uh, I feel I like make, a pioneer. Well, I guess I was a pioneer. I didn't yeah. think so at the time. All I thought was this is not working. <laughs> yeah, the, f- the first commercial synchronous learning system was Centra, Centra right. Symposium, or their updated version, Centra 99. That was their big exciting version. And uh, their first Canadian customer, the first one who brought it into Canada was uh, PwC Canada through uh, Jane's efforts to launch a consulting practice specifically for synchronous distance learning. So you're ahead of your time by 20 years. Oh yeah, I mean that whole idea of synchronous distance learning, I had already been sort of sorting through the the pros and cons and what you could do and what you couldn't do back in the 90s, uh, like 98, 99. And it really, it really fizzled out though, because there just wasn't that connection. And, and Lotus, remember Lotus? Oh yeah. Lotus had the learning, what was it called? Learning space. It was part of Notes. Yeah. Part of Lotus. Yeah. Oh, Domino. Lotus Domino. And, and then they had that for a while, but I don't think that went anywhere. And I think a lot of those synchronous, because the technology wasn't there, and the connectivity wasn't there. They just kind of petered out. Well, they were also all priced for enterprise. Yes. And it was expensive. Like that Centra, that was a hundred thousand bucks for that because it wasn't, there was none of this subscription software business. They sent you a, a physical server yeah. or you bought a server license and you yeah. installed it on your own machine. Uh, and it was expensive and not many people were going to do that. So the people who were going to do it were the ones that were spending even more than that, flying their staff to live training events. Different, yeah. So it was that international companies mm-hmm. were trying to use this, and I think that they were using it. I think it was actually for those people. It was great, but if that's the only market that you can cater to, that's a very small market. And well, what ended up happening was computer-based learning really became the you know the cheaper alternative. And it was easier to distribute. You just had to have CDs. And then when web-based training came out and you could actually put it online, then that just kind of... Well, and what killed a lot of those companies was WebEx. WebEx came out in the early 2000s taking the same kind of technology and using it as a meeting tool. And the price was a fraction of what these other systems were. And it was a monthly subscription and there was no server to install. It was all kind of cloud-based. And it just gutted them. It just gutted so many of these different uh, offerings. And 
that became the standard then. And so it's funny because people like at WebEx now and think it's the dinosaur. It's the kind of enterprise focused clunky dinosaur. And it just keeps being the same sort of innovation. Zoom came along and made it even cheaper and made it free for individuals to connect. But do you remember when we first started working in trucking, um, we were doing WebEx uh, webinars Mm -hmm. and nobody was doing it. And we were like other people outside of trucking were using WebEx and we knew about WebEx because of that. But when you were dealing with people inside of trucking, nobody was doing it. It was like, you know, that was you weren't going there because the tech they didn't have the internal technology and and you you know if you said oh you know can you connect to this they'd be like what and so go to meeting was also something that was coming up and and it, those tools were just not used and i don't think it took a while for trucking to catch up well it's been in the last three years well yeah like a year ago people were starting to do more webinars tca was Mm -hmm. doing them more regularly freightways was starting to do theirs there's getting to be a lot ata starting to do them more often but it was still a thing that you had to prep for right and when we did ours it was still a regular part of our monthly webinar assuming that people would need help getting the software installed and getting it configured and getting the network opened up so they can actually connect and like all of that stuff one of the nice things that's happened as a result of this lockdown is all of that's gone away. Yeah. Everybody has all this stuff installed, configured, ready to go. So if you say we've got a webinar and it's on Zoom, boom, people are yeah. there. If it's WebEx, everybody's got that. Go to meeting. You know, it, it's so much easier now. Everybody's used you to You don't it. have to install copious amounts of software. It's much faster. The, the It's much lighter. I remember because now I think... Um, I was on, I was on a call and I didn't even remember what I was using. I didn't know if I was yeah. using Slack or Zoom or, well, it wouldn't have been WebEx, but. Or you Teams know, or Skype. Yeah, yeah. Or Skype or you know, just my regular internet phone, because <laughs> basically they all come through my computer and when people want to connect with me, I get beeped and then I just answer and then I forget like. Where am I actually speaking? You know, yeah. if I want to share something, where am I clicking? Yeah. I can't remember what Which I'm doing. Which application do I need to yeah. share? Yeah, and it's uh, it's getting to be so ubiquitous, right? It's it's almost like you kind of just need a a general computer connection, and you can you can just turn it on, and it's mm-hmm. like you're just going to connect. Like I think that's what's going to end up being the next thing is instead of all of these applications, it's just going to be your computer itself is the kind of like FaceTime on steroids. Hmm, interesting. Well, what I find uh, just hearing you talk and realizing that these kind of web communication tools, synchronous communication tools are kind of like where the Internet finally got to about 15 years ago where everybody just had Internet and you didn't have to worry about it. And it wasn't. Go and get on the internet, and that was three steps of its own, yeah. and then connect. It was just the internet was there, and it was on all the time. And I think that's sort of where we're at with all of these communication apps now, mm-hmm. is it's it's not go and download Skype. It's here, it's going to be a, this. And then everybody already has it, so they click the link, and they're in. What I've also noticed, this really came up for me a week or two ago when I did our, our monthly webinar, uh, which I've uh, started doing again. Um, I noticed that participants not only have the stuff already installed, they're much more comfortable using it. They're already, 
they're up to speed on it. So we don't have the issues where, that we used to have in the past where people would come in and they would turn on their microphone and there'd be all kinds of crazy noise in the background or um, like lots of disruptions or, or things would be broken. You don't have these people sort of disrupting the uh, the meeting or the webinar anymore. Just And they weren't doing it intentionally. It was just sort of their own um, inexperience. Yeah. Um, so that's really gone away and people are much more comfortable doing that. I think, um, in, you know, to take it back a little bit, I think it's very interesting to see the change, like how people respond to the change. So in general, before the pandemic and before everybody was locked down and had to use these tools, people were very slow. They didn't think it was going to work. People couldn't work at home. Remote learning was difficult. Remote working was difficult. You couldn't trust people. You didn't, you know, how are you, how are you going to manage them? People were really resisting um, that whole letting people work from home, that remote learning oh, yeah. or the remote working, which we do because we like doing it ourselves. Yeah, we used to be the freaks on that. Oh, I know. We were totally the freaks. But what happened was as soon as you didn't have a choice, look how fast like basically the world changed the entire world changed in six months and now the the opinion is not that it is difficult or impossible to work from home it is now you have the choice is would you rather work from home or would you rather work in an office and where is it more beneficial and what are the advantages and disadvantages which is something that we were talking about a long time ago is saying that yeah there are advantages and disadvantages but they're the same thing it's just really what the preference and the what those advantages and disadvantages would be so the conversation has completely switched and it has switched really really fast and it's kind of like um the switch to elds or to to camera to new technology in the trucks and people are like oh my god elds are coming and it's going to be a mandate and it's going to be so difficult for people well actually no if you introduce it properly and if you have a plan, then it can be just like switching from a in-person office to Zoom. You can do it. It's going to be some hiccups and there's going to be some issues that you have to work through. But eventually, on the other side, everybody will be using an ELD and nobody will remember mm-hmm. a time when you didn't. It just becomes standard. Yeah. I'm not sure that I'm happy about the fact that it's become standard for people to work from home. We used to have an advantage in that area. And now there's lots of places that people can work from home. I don't think so. I don't think it was an advantage, actually, because people confuse working from home. And I think they still do. They confuse it with um, an easier workplace. Hmm. And it's not easier. No, it's worse. Harder. No, it's it's harder in some ways and easier in some ways. It depends on the work that you're doing. So for me, because I spend a lot of time in my head and writing and designing and doing all of that stuff, being at home and not having to worry about other people around me is a great benefit. When I want to talk to somebody, I can talk to somebody. I don't have an issue doing that. It's when you are when you are used to having a lot of people around and, and you like that and that gives you energy and and your job is to connect with people and talk to people, that's when it can be a disadvantage or it can be harder. But it really depends on, you know, the job that you do doesn't change. It's just, can you do it in isolation or not? Well, I think the other element of that 
that needs to be factored in is that when you're working remotely like we are, and it's an organization that is set up to manage that, really the only thing that you have to get by on is your ability to do the work properly. Yeah. If you're not doing the job and you're in an office, you can sometimes skate by by being the good the good guy, hanging out, being buds with everyone and getting everyone to overlook that kind of thing, the sort of cult of personality type people. Those things do not fly in a remote workplace where you're really just measured on the work. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, that's the difficulty that we've had is that people kind of come in and think it's like an office and don't realize how much they've skated by. Yeah. And then we sort of say, well, you're not, you know, you need to do this. You need to do this work. And that is when people, um, it's basically when people tend to fail. And it's not because they are intending to fail. It's because when you are focused on the work, you're focused on the work and you cannot have any, you can't have any flowery stuff around the edges. Really, that flowery stuff around the edges is nice, but it's only nice about 10% for us. It's yeah. We are 90%. Are you doing good work? Are you asking good questions? Are you moving things forward? Or are you just, you know, in a bit of a spiral of, you know, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't want to ask and I don't want to admit it. <laughs> well, I've seen that actually play out somewhere else and I find it very fascinating with training moving into these remote um, synchronous sessions, but also all these conferences that have gone virtual. Um, <laughs> it really forces a much higher level of delivery standard from the instructor, from the presenter. Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen that where it's like you go into these classes and it's just a guy at the front of the room telling stories. Well, you can sort of get by. It's terrible, but people will endure it in a live classroom setting. But when you're doing that over Zoom, people are not paying attention. Well, you don't have the peer pressure. So if you're in a classroom or if you're in a session with other people and other mm -hmm. people are listening, you are kind of pressured into listening and people walk out of sessions all the time. So it's, you know, if you can't listen. Well, or conferences, definitely. Yeah, and yes. in, in, in person. Yeah. But with Zoom or any kind of virtual space, that peer pressure is not there. You are sitting alone in a room and your, your feelings about the session are your feelings. You're not being affected so much by the person sitting next to you. Your idea, you know, how, how much am I going to have to get out of the middle of this row that I'm sitting in, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, should I just find something to do and get by or, but on a zoom call or a, when it's a presentation going on on zoom, it's like, well, this is useless. Click. Yeah. You don't know how many people have already left and yeah. you don't know, uh, what else anybody else is thinking and you don't care because you can just mute it or leave. And I've seen that with, with conferences. I mean, there's one, uh, the worst one I've seen. It's always my gripe when I go to a conference and a speaker is just reading their slides. They're just standing there reading off a densely packed PowerPoint slide to the audience and it drives me nuts. And I don't understand why these conferences ever allow that to happen. But it's even worse when it's virtual. And I was in one conference where the guy had a slide that was jam packed with text and he was just reading it. 
and making it worse. He couldn't even read it without misspeaking. He had to go back over it and sort of correct himself as he's reading his dense slide. And it was like, this is terrible. Why am I paying attention to this? I wouldn't sit through this. I guess when it's live, your point, you have a sense of decorum that you really shouldn't um, noisily leave or make a, a spectacle of leaving an event in the middle of it or five minutes in. You shouldn't storm out of a session when you're <laughs> disgusted by it. But virtually you can. You can yeah. be because they can't hear you. You're muted. And if it's terrible, you can just leave. But I think that's actually kind of a good thing because it's going to push all of these uh, conferences and all of the speakers and all of the instructors to focus on delivering a higher quality production, higher quality presentation. You can't just be reading. You've got to be engaged. You've got to be doing something to keep people's attention. It's much more like a broadcast. Mm -hmm. And I see that as a very positive thing overall. But you're talking about um, virtual events and we have found that the whole idea of the trade show, like the booths, <laughs> is a totally different. That is the opposite experience. Yeah. Yeah. Because, well, it's the same thing. People, when it's a live event and there are people standing at booths, you do feel as a, as an attendee, you do feel like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go and look around or these poor people, I should at least look around and, mm -hmm. and pay some attention but on a in a virtual uh, trade show, that does not happen. Yeah. People don't feel the peer pressure. They don't feel any um, human pressure to do anything. So they just don't go. Well, there's also there's no social activity happening there. Yeah. When you're at a conference in the trade show area, in the exhibit area, there's a lot of people congregating. That's usually where the food and drink is. There's reasons to be there and hang around. And in a virtual one, there's no way to make it easy to get to and accommodating to kind of wander around. There's, there's really nothing to wander. And even when they have kind of a virtual floor plan, all you're seeing is people's logos. You're not seeing a booth. You're not seeing anything that is going to be engaging. So you've got to make a real effort to go in there and see what they're doing and what options they have provided for contact. Sometimes it's a a chat or you have a live chat with somebody. Sometimes it's jump into a zoom meeting or something, but it's really not the same. And, you know, to be fair to people who are attendees of a conference, you do not want to get into a zoom chat with a salesperson. <laughs> For like, sure. I, I am never going into a zoom chat with a salesperson. I don't buy that way. You know, anything that I buy, I'm making the decision on my own if I have a question, I'm looking it up. I am not speaking to anyone. And, you know, apologies to anybody who is in sales and this is how, but I don't buy that way. I will never buy that. I will actually not buy things from you if you push me too hard. So I'm weird that way. Maybe other people aren't like that. I don't think anybody likes getting but sold. I, I am not interested in being trapped in a Zoom call where what am I going to do? Hang up on you? Yeah. Like how, like it basically a lot of people will not let you go until you've, you have said, okay, and you've acquiesced to something, mm -hmm. which makes them think that, you know, you're now in their, um, what do you call it? Their sales process. Yeah. You're in their pipeline. Yeah. And it's not true. So a lot of people lie and basically say they're interested when they're really not, or they might be interested in that minute, but then they're not. 
you know, there's all kinds of different levels of interest. But when people are at a trade show and the people who staff those booths are often trying very hard to get you to commit one way or the other. And we don't, I don't like that at all. Yeah. Well, the virtual booth isn't a booth. They're calling it that, but it's just a landing page that has a, a description. They're always the same. They've got a description They've got a couple of links to download some documents that are going to be an overview, like brochures, the same stuff that you would have handing out uh, at a live event. Um, And then there's, you can put a demo movie or something in there. So it really is just a landing page. It isn't like going to see an actual booth and speaking to people and get a sense of what the business is all about. But it also doesn't have the opportunity to kind of wander by scan the booth and figure out what they're all about and whether you should go and talk to them, mm-hmm. right? You've got to click into it first. And I think people are, sometimes people will go and have a look at that, but yeah, it's, it's very different and it is not efficient. So no, I think that all of these uh, industry conferences should really, really have a good hard think about what it is that they want their sponsor or what the sponsors are going to get. Because what we found over the last couple of conferences that we've uh, been exhibitors at is that you get really nothing. Yeah, it's it's a little bit more than you would get from putting an ad somewhere. It's a landing page. So you get something out of it, but the value of it is way less than yeah. a live one because you don't have the networking. You don't have that live interaction. Or even the the ability to see someone in the elevator and say, oh, you know, yeah. this is what I'm doing. And oh, you should come by my booth. Yeah, the wandering around halls and things like that. That's where the value of the events is. Yeah. And it's not, you know, standing at your booth and waiting for someone to come by and then grabbing them. It's, um, it's, there's way more nuances to it than that. And I understand that, you know, for a lot of organizations, they've had to do it really fast. Like you have to basically go virtual and do it for the first time and try and make a success out of it and try not lose too much money or blah, 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 blah. And I understand that. But at the same time, you have to be careful of your customers and what they're getting and what the value is, because everybody is in the same situation. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens a year from now or a year and a half from now when you can go back to live. Uh, Does it end up like um, working does where sometimes people are live and sometimes they're virtual? You know, how many of these go back to being live all the virtual conference platforms are having a great time right now because everybody's using them, no other option. How how do their prospects look when people can go back to being live? I think there's some of these conferences that would probably be better off to stay, uh, stay virtual. as virtual, uh, especially if they've figured out a business model where they can increase their attendance and have a lot more people coming through it and uh, do something that, uh, figure out their sponsorships a figure little out bit. what to do with the sponsorships so that they're providing some value or balancing the cost and the value that's being delivered maybe have fewer sponsorships fewer people sponsoring and a bigger deal for each of them mm-hmm. um, and, or maybe make it like more like tv where your ads are are ads and they get shown a certain number of times throughout the mm-hmm. because that's what collision does the big tech conference in toronto that's basically what they were doing or give people, give sponsors the opportunity to do really brief Q and A's or, um, you know, give them a five minute 
pitch. Mm-hmm. And I know that ATA is doing something like that. Yeah, ATA is doing that for MCE, where they're going to be, although it's still very traditional, it's, uh, I think, an email blast or something like that. You can do some direct promotion, which is something. Um, and that's it's kind of cool. It's nice that they figured out another option there. But yeah, the ad thing would be fabulous. Collision is the only one who does that. At the beginning of a session, you've got a 10-second uh, promotion from, and a lot of times they're promoting their other events, but it may be a promotion from a sponsor. And it's not in your face. It's not too egregious, but it's a 10 or 15-second thing, nicely produced, and then you go into the live event. And it's also a really nice sort of warm-up that, okay, now the thing is starting. Yeah, and it's kind of like a movie where mm-hmm. you you know that first you have the ads mm-hmm. and then you have the trailers and that's like a good 20 minutes. So you can be 20 minutes late for a movie <laughs> or you can sit there and watch the ads. I don't mind sitting and watching the ads in the previews because, you know, I understand that they have to pay for you know the exorbitant amounts that movies cost. I would be happy to sit through ads on a in a conference. I don't want to go in a Zoom call on in a trade show. I would definitely be interested in ads, but nobody has asked. Yeah. No one has said, what would you like to do as a sponsor? How do you think your sponsorship money could be best used? And no, they fall back on the easy things, which is we're going to slap your logo in a bunch of places. Yeah. I don't want to do a logo. I want to do an ad. Yeah. So give me some ad time. And actually, maybe that's one of the things that we start suggesting to people. Well, the challenge with that and we have to be careful is they'll say that's a good idea uh but i need it tomorrow because the event is 18 weeks from now and we have to have all of the stuff at least 18 weeks in advance which is the other thing that drives we have a movie you know like everybody should be everybody should be thinking about video and you know many many trucking companies are using video they have tons and tons of videos Mm -hmm. why are you know the um the people who are vendors should have video as well (laughs) which we can say because now we finally have one well we did it for a show yeah for an event and that was part of why we did that event is because we have known for a while that we needed to do one and we finally had that catalyst it's okay we've got to get off our butts and do this thing now and you know other events could be those catalysts and say you can have a virtual trade show booth Mm -hmm. or we can show your ad in this placement for this amount of money and then say, we hear the specifications. You need to have it in this format. We need to have it this size and you need to have it this date. That's the other thing that people aren't doing is that as a speaker, you never know when they're going to want your slides. They tell you they tell you that they actually want you to speak and then they say five minutes later, it's like, oh yeah, and we want all of your material in the next 10 minutes and you're like okay one why and two crap yeah and and what's the criteria what's the audience how is it going to be delivered is it pre-recorded or live no one can answer those questions so you know i'm fine i'm pretty flexible but i find that um that people tend to want to stick with what they know or a version of what they know. It goes back to the whole, let's do correspondence course courses over a modem. And it's basically exactly (laughs) the same thing, but just over a modem. And let's do our classroom course exactly the same, but over zoom. And I'm just going to read my slides. Yeah. 
So this is why. Or what I've seen is, okay, we're going to work from home, but you all need to check in by 9 a.m. and you have your camera on so I can see that you're working. Yeah. And you, you cannot, your lunch break is still your lunch break and you have to be at your desk until five and then you can't go grocery shopping or do anything until the weekend yeah. when everybody else is. Yeah. yeah the conference people are going through what all the uh, offices were going through six months ago. Yeah. They're trying to figure out, okay, how do we actually make this work? Uh, but uh, it's been, as uh, suggested by the fact we've just ranted for 15 minutes, it's been something of a, a wild ride on the uh, on the it conference has, and the virtual event side. It has. Um, what was I going to say? You interrupted me. Interrupting. What does our kid call it? Interrupting cow? Is yeah. that what it was? You're mm-hmm. interrupting cow. Uh, we were talking about, uh, oh, well, we're done now with that. <laughs> I had some brilliant thought that you interrupted me. It's all right. Of. I had five brilliant thoughts before, but I didn't get to say them because you moved on to a different subject. <laughs> oh, so I was the interrupting cow. Moo. <laughs> no, that was me. I'm mooing. Okay. Okay. So what does an interrupting cow say? Well, you're supposed to do it in the middle. That's the whole joke. Oh. What does an interrupting cow moo. say? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm not. Moving no. on to item two on our agenda for today. I don't even know what that was going to be. Let's talk about courses because we had a lot of exciting stuff happening. Shifting gears from marketing and uh, draining uh, delivery methods, meeting delivery methods, all of that kind of thing to the business that we are trying to be in uh, all day, every day, creating content. Oh, wait, we do that? Periodically we do. (laughs) Well, we've had a lot of changes happen in that area because yeah. you've been putting out a bunch of new courses and not just creating new titles, but you're doing kind of overhauls of mm-hmm. existing stuff. Which, which I think we talked about on the last podcast is that was what we were, we're going starting, to be doing. Yeah, yeah but that was sort of at the beginning of the summer. Now you've got a few of these out mm-hmm. and we've kind of in that time looked at it and thought, yeah, this is sort of a focus area that we could stand to spend a bit more time on because we've got a lot of the topic areas covered. There's not a lot that somebody says, oh, we need a course on this that we don't really have. Few things here and there. It's getting more and more specific. Yeah, and more and more, uh, yeah, outlier type subjects, but. Or it's for different types of vehicles. That's the big one is basically taking the content we have and changing it to adapt or adapt it for different types of vehicles. But we have a lot of that content in some form now. So the issue is, continuing to update it and refresh it. And that's what you've been working on a lot over the last three or four months. Yes. So um, hours of service, obviously. But when we do hours of service for either Canada or the U.S., we have a cross-border one that also needs to be updated. And then we have to do it in all the languages. That's the that is some of the some of the slowdown that we have or some of the. issues that we have is that we have to do it in French and or Spanish and which parts of it go into French, which ones uh, go into Spanish. Uh, so hours of service, we are, we have released, we released ages ago, the U S update and the, um, we have a full course that has all the updates in it as well as the, um, update course itself, which is about, which is a short, um, half hour module just on the changes 
We also have done a lot of translation, so we have cybersecurity in French and Spanish. Well, hang on, hang on. What? You, you just glossed over hours of service very quickly, and there's a lot more in that. So you've got a full-length course, the U.S. full-length course, which mm-hmm. is, we call it full-length course. That's sort of covering the topic end-to-end. Right. Like if you were doing a dedicated class for somebody who didn't know anything about hours of service, this is what they would get. Right. And then all of those individual uh, lessons are broken out into individual courses as well. So that on its own is a good amount of content. All of that's been updated for the new regulations. For the new U.S. regulations, And right. you're in the process of getting all of those updates translated into Spanish, Spanish as well. And because there are a handful of changes um, that wouldn't necessarily warrant somebody going through the entire course end-to-end, but they do need to know these things, you created your update course, which just says, that's the short course you're talking about. It's just, here's the four things that are changing. Right. And here's what it means to you in the context of your day compared to what you were doing before. Hey, didn't I say that? I don't think I did. I think I'm always in the weeds. And I always assume that everybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, you did sort of gloss over it, but that's a lot of work and there's a lot of stuff oh, yeah, in there. It's, it's constant work because, well, we also are updating um, all of our images we are, but that was another thing. We've updated the template. We've updated all the images. Yeah, there's technical updates and you've got mm-hmm. uh, redesigned sort of imagery that is much more crisp now because people have higher resolution displays. Yeah. So we want to keep making the stuff look better. Uh, and that's just the US only side. So now you're just finishing up the cross-border Now we're doing well. it for cross-border and cross-border. Um, yeah, it's it's um we have some of the same content, but some of it's slightly different. So audio has to be re-recorded, um, and again we have to go through and update all of those images, and um, and then we have to do it in French. Yeah. So the update course, like the the update course, that's just the four things that are being updated in the U.S. We're not translating into French. We have the whole thing translated into French, but we're not going to do it for the, just the update. Um, and the trickiness with these update things being short, even though a big chunk of the content is pulled out of the larger course, there's a few extra pieces that you have to do specific to that. But it's uh, tricky because they have a very short shelf life. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, well, certainly six months from now, people won't be looking at the changes. No. It's really the first three months and mostly the first, the month before and maybe the month after. And then that's it. So you've got a, a course here that you're building that's only good for, you know, three to six months, three months realistically, and then it's done. So it's hard to spend a ton of time on it and hard to, Um, spend a lot of effort doing translations and things like that when you know it's going to get parked pretty soon and people won't care. Yeah, and it's definitely a huge expense because the translation and voiceover, Yeah, you know, I can write a course in English and have the voiceover. That's, That's not a terrible cost. But then when you add on translation and then translation voiceover, then you've added on a, a whole bunch of other costs to that chunk and there is a certain point where it's not it's not really feasible for our the way that what i'm also thinking is that on top of all of that we have the ever-present threat that these regulations may be walked back 
I know, I know. So I was just thinking I, the last time we did I one of these. I keep seeing things in the news about how the there now there's a lawsuit yeah. trying to uh, claw back those regulations that are, that are coming into and force. And that happened with the 2013 updates. Yep. We did an update course then. And then, okay, one of these is gone. So we have to kind of pull that out. And then another one is gone. And all of a sudden your update course has just got two pages in it. Yep. And so I was like, well, why are we bothering? And the other thing is that the FMCSA is has got another thing that they're piloting now, mm. which is, is it sleeper birth or is it, oh no, it's the pause. It's the pause in the clock yeah, for three hours. Yeah, That is going to be, that's oh, going to be at least three pages, three additional pages into a course. And I don't even know where it would be, but that's a totally different way of explaining how your clock works. And it seems like for all of these people who are living it every day, it's not a problem to switch. It's like, I don't like this. Why don't we just make it like this? And then Bob's your uncle. It's all, it's all fixed and good. But the problem is, is when you're talking to new people about it, you have to explain, okay, here's the basics. And here's your, you, you know, here's your work day. Here's your 14 hours. Here's your 11 hours. Here's your, you know, you need to do, take this amount of break and you can have, I must have a 30 minute break. That's pretty straightforward. But then you have to start talking about pausing the clock. And where do you, how do you structure that when you're talking about training? Do you talk about that with the exceptions? That's probably what I, what I do. Um, it would or, depend on where it gets fit in. Well, the problem also is, is how long all of these sections are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have one section that's just sort of explaining the theory and then we have another section of how to um, how to record it in a log or how it should be recorded in a log. So I'm going to have to add sections to both of uh, add pages to both of those sections. They're getting pretty long because there's a lot of stuff that's going into it. Mm-hmm. It's not like the regs make it any shorter to explain. <laughs> It, it's always there's additional things yeah. because it's getting more complex. And I totally understand the industry saying like, you know, I give up. But like, what do you want us to do? Like, just choose something and deal with it. So in that situation, do you think it would end up being closer to how it works in Canada where you've got an on duty time and a working window that can get paused already? Well, you know, it's funny is that in Canada, it's two, two hours. Mm. So I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and that makes the cross border course pretty long because you have to explain that. And, and basically you, you, the thing is in Canada is that you have a 16 hour working window and you can drive for 14, I'm sorry, you drive for 13 in 14 hour duty period and you have to take two hours off. So how's it going to work in the U.S.? So does that mean you have... 14 hours within a 14 hour working window, but you can pause the clock for three hours. So does that makes it a 17 hour working window now? Yeah. As opposed to a 16 hour working window. And again, I come back to can, why can't we have the same rules in the two countries to make it easier? Yeah. Nuts. It's crazy. And once you get all that sorted out, of course, the Canadian side will need to be updated for the ELD mandate here. Right. So, so the fun never ends. That is something that I'm actually thinking about and planning for. And because the ELD mandate is, it's not going to be totally different like like the hours of service regs. Uh, so I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, it it's not even just doing the work. It's thinking about the work that is difficult and that <laughs> it takes up the time because do I plan to do changes for this three hour window? Do I not plan to do them? Do I wait until, you know, no, the November election and then see if <laughs> see what gets rolled back? Yeah, who knows yeah. what's going to happen. And I mean, either way, it doesn't matter who gets in. It, it's completely up in the air. Yeah. So, you know, hours of service is just its own can of worms. And I I imagine that the ELD manufacturers are having the same issues. Like, what's going to happen? When is it going to happen? Can Can someone just agree on what it should be? And... I can sort of see both points of view, like with the truck, trucking community want it to work a certain way and then safety, you know, people, the non-trucking safety groups want to have it a different way and they don't have a very good um, mechanism for actually talking about both sides. So you have to go back to these lawsuits and like who's <laughs> going to do what and yeah, that's crazy. Okay, that is a much better explanation of the hours of service subject that you've been buried in over the summer. Well, and then you have to be buried in it. Yeah. And it's not just me. I mean, I have staff who are buried in it as well. So it's um, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And but at the same time, I managed to get cybersecurity translated into French and Spanish. Yes. And in, you know, just in time, because I am telling people please do some cybersecurity training. I don't care if you use our course or somebody else's course or, you know, do some in-person stuff or just think about it because the ransomware attacks are going to get worse. Yeah. They're the starting to happen. And do you think that once hackers see a success that they're going to stop? No. <laughs> They're not. These, Going nuts. These are not criminals who are regulated. It's yeah. like, yeah, you can have one hack a year or one hack every 18 months and then you have to have a hiatus. Yeah. These people are not following rules. So, you know, I, I spent a lot of time at the beginning of the summer saying, be aware. People are starting to talk about this. The FBI has come out and said, you know, that you, you guys are could be hacked and still not tons of people have taken that cybersecurity course. And, yeah. It's like there's more people in the news getting hacked than there are taking the course. So yes. at some yeah. point you're like, you got to throw your hands up, you know, it's that shrug emoji and just move on and say, you know, it's there in three languages. Yeah. At least like do one of the topics that, talks about baiting and phishing yeah. because apparently that's how people are getting caught is people click on bad links yep. and they need, and what our course does is help you recognize what those bad links are yeah. and how to tell when things are, what are to weird. look for to avoid it. Yeah. I got a Norton antivirus uh, phishing thing. Wow. Yeah. Basically saying that I had purchased it and if there was a problem then to call this number or click this link. Wow. And it's like, well, I have not. That's a phrase I haven't heard in a while. Norton yeah. antivirus. I know. I don't know why Norton antivirus. I thought that was very bizarre. Yeah. But they had the logo and everything. And I knew it was spam. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we've done we've done that. Um, we've also released we've just released uh, a new uh, healthy eating course, which is um, replacing the wellness course or one of the wellness topics. So we've already replaced the fatigue section. We are just released the diet section. We're working on preventing illness and exercise. So the diet section is in two parts. It's what a healthy diet is comprised of and how to change your behavior, like how to mm. how to implement it in your life. Mm. That should be interesting. Yeah, it is. It's 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 always interesting to to do these courses and learn about, you know, what what the theory is out there and so we have a lot of stuff about uh, reading nutri- nutrition labels and how to get around, like how to interpret marketing speak mm. as opposed to what a package actually is saying. <laughs> and that's why the nutrition facts are so important is because that will tell you exactly what's in the food. Yeah. The label is just going to be all the marketing yeah. garbage. Interesting. And uh, just in just ways to change habits. So what I've seen so far of these new wellness courses, they look really nice. They look like a, a very nice update. The mm-hmm. old old package was good. The old uh, road to wellness suite was good stuff, but that was originally designed you know, nearly 10 years ago now. So a lot has changed, particularly on diet, on exercise mm-hmm. and understanding of how to do exercise on the road and the illness pieces that you've got coming uh, as well. Uh, that's going to be a very nice set of courses. Yes, I think so, too, because we, you know, as we update a course, we change the template, we change the images. Um, when you incorporate best practices from our customers, mm-hmm. things we've learned through the Best Fleets program, yep. all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, which um, takes us over to, we should talk for a couple of minutes about the Best Fleets program, because even though it is only in the uh, second half of September, we are uh, well into this year's best we foods are. program. So normally we would just be early in the nominations and be wondering how it was going to shake out. And, uh, this year the nominations closed before Labor Day and holy man, do we have a lot of them. So we do, I am now going to publicly state that I was wrong. I was very wrong. <laughs> I thought that with the early running of it and with the pandemic that, we would be lucky to break a hundred nominees, but I think largely thanks to the excellent work of Harpreet, our marketing coordinator, and Chris, our new VP, who's actually responsible for the program. Um, they've done some fabulous work and our nominations went through the roof. We were um, w- blowing past our normal average and even past our past record, our previous record which was 140 nominees. And this year we ended up with 153 nominations. Crazy. It is crazy. And I would normally be terrified of all the interviews that I would have to do as a result of that. But now that we have Chris, who is taking on a large chunk of them, uh, I don't feel so bad. (laughs) I got like 20 interviews to do. I'm not too worried. In 20 interviews, you know, that's a that's a week and a half in the old days. Well, what, I, I've been just trying to desperately get stuff released so that I can, and I'm hoping next week I can focus on, you know, nudging people into their interviews and, you know, getting all that stuff together. So I, I do, I know that there's a bunch of people who have, you know, are at least partially through their questionnaire, but I haven't been, mm-hmm. I haven't been sort of saying, Hey, you want to do an interview? I know Chris has. Chris um, has been, I think, bugging people to. Well, to do we've their got interviews. a good amount. If you think about it, we are like two weeks 
into our interview period. So we're about where we would normally be mid-October. And uh, so, wait, is that right? No, mid-November. We're yeah. about where we would be mid-November. Yeah. So you normally don't have a ton of them in the first part of it. And uh, we've got a handful. I think we've probably got close to half a dozen, yeah, maybe five or so that have been completed. And that's not too bad. It always is busiest in the last few weeks. So the second half of October is going to be nuts. What I think is funny is that we have a different Thanksgiving that is. uh, Yeah, different Thanksgiving deadline. Yeah. Um, So we're using Canadian Thanksgiving this time. Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's the wrench that's thrown in. Normally U.S. Thanksgiving throws a big wrench into interview schedule. Canadian Thanksgiving is is a non-state. It's like one day. Yeah. It's not like you American Thanksgiving where it's, you know, where the week is week. gone. Yeah. Yeah. And no one wants to do anything. Canadian Thanksgiving is a long weekend mm-hmm. and that's it. So, and we're already like you and I have talked about, we've been bored with long weekends. Like it's not like <laughs> there's nothing to do. I know. We may as well work. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that, I think we're probably at the point where we can wrap up this. And we should go back to work, our real work. <laughs> may as well yeah. work. Yeah. We okay. can't sit here around here talking all day. Uh, we are going to be talking all day because we have another podcast to do. And we'll have more on that next time. Yes. So thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you.